Welcome to the Alpha Ministries podcast. Alpha Ministries is a recovery church whose mission is to teach individuals and institutions to recognize and apply the gospel of grace, building stronger families and communities. Today's podcast is sponsored by TJB Web Media. It's a New Jersey SEO marketing and WordPress web design company for businesses, churches, and nonprofits. It's ranked the number one company in Google for SEO company in New Jersey internet marketing, to name a few. Although they're based in New Jersey, they work with people all around the country to enhance websites, to build new websites, or to get more traffic to your website. They will consult with you. They will work with you in many different capacities. Their information is in the show notes, so contact them if you need their services. Well, John has wrapped up the Walking Backwards series and has moved into um, talking about the life of Peter and how Peter is a good example of how we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So without further delay, here's John's message on the life of the Apostle Peter. Well, last week we kind of wound down our study on walking backwards with the example of Peter, who actually walked on water. Now, for a fisherman to climb out of a boat in the middle of a storm and walk on water is totally backwards to our mindset. No one in their right mind would do such a thing. But Peter did. Why did he do that? Well, there are a number of reasons we could turn to, but the primary reason, I think, is that he recognized his Lord and his Savior. You remember the story, we went over it last week, how the disciples were going across the lake at night and they ran into a big storm. And they fought that wind all night long and they lost. And just about the time that they were ready to give up, they saw someone walking on the water out there. And they thought it was a ghost. Well, when he got closer, Jesus said, Stop freaking out. Relax. It's me. Peter heard that, as did all of them in the boat. But it clicked something in Peter. Something that perhaps needs to be clicked in us as well. He recognized Jesus' ability and supernatural power to walk in this world, to live in this world. As the light bulb clicked on, Peter asked that question that just blows me away. How any sailor, fisherman in their right mind would ask this question. He said, Lord, since it's you out there in the middle of this storm on the water, let me come to you. 
Let me walk like you're walking. Now, I find that to be a question that's totally amazing. It expressed a desire, a deep desire, a God-given desire that Peter had to live like Jesus. And that God-given desire came out in his request. Let me come to you. Jesus' response to that, of course, was, come, come on. And that's the same response he has for anyone who wants to live their life like he did. Anyone that wants to live their life radically different from rules, regulations, law, and lies to live in their life by grace. The supernatural way that God works inside of us to conform us to the image of His Son, Jesus. To be like Christ. Jesus said, come on. You want it? Come on. It's not a problem with me. I want you to walk that way. So out of the boat came Peter. Now again, I don't know how he came out of that boat, whether he let himself down slowly by a rope or whether he just leaped out. I suspect he did a little testing, you know, stepping down there to see if the water was going to hold him up. But be that as it may, he actually walked on water going to Jesus. Now, everybody faults Peter about taking his eyes off the Lord. I suspect there was a big wave, a crest wave came between him and Jesus. And he looked at himself and said, what in the world are you doing? Began to doubt, began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus did. Stretched out his hand, took him up. Now, the lesson that we learn from that is all that we've been studying about walking backwards. All that we've been studying about walking like Jesus is illustrated in that one incident in Peter's life. But I got to thinking about it, you know, that one incident is pretty amazing, obviously. But it's not all to Peter's life. As a matter of fact, as you begin to study the Scriptures, especially the Gospels and on into Acts, you're going to see one of the most prominent characters in all the New Testament other than Jesus, and later Paul, was Peter. And I want us to do a little biographical study of Peter's life. I want us to look at that because in that, I think, is a tremendous example for how it is you and I are going to learn to walk supernaturally in the power of God in our everyday lives. 
and to recognize what that means to us. Now, to begin our study, and we certainly won't cover all the scriptures today, but to begin our study, I want us to go to the first chapter of John and note where we're first introduced to Peter. Uh, you remember the story of the context here. John the baptizer is at the Jordan River baptizing folks who are willing to change their thinking about God. You see, they had been conditioned under the Old Covenant to think that they had to do certain things in order to please God. And they had to not do other things in order to please Him. It's kind of the same kind of attitude and thinking that Christians today get in when they say, okay, now that I'm a Christian, now that I'm a believer, what do I need to do? Or what do I need to quit doing? So that's the same kind of attitude Israel had. Israel had a performance-based attitude based on living their lives up to the standards of the law of Moses. And so John came saying, I want you to change your mind. Repent. Do a 100-degree change in your thinking. That's not how God works. He no longer works under the old covenant. He works under the new covenant, and he's not come to prepare the way for it. Now, as he was speaking, Jesus came walking by. He looked up, and he said, Behold, look there. There goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. There goes the Lamb of God. Now, two of his disciples were standing there with him when he said that, and immediately those two went to follow Jesus. They asked him, where are you living? He said, come on, I'll show you. And they spent the night with him. On the next day, Andrew, one of the two, went to find his brother, Simon. And when he found him, he said, Simon, we found the Messiah, that long-awaited-for Messiah of Israel. We found him. He's right here. Come on, I'll show you. To his credit, Peter went with his brother even though he might have thought he was a little crazy. But he went to his brother. He met Jesus. And what John records for us here is really a significant thing we're going to illustrate throughout Peter's lifestyle, or life and lifestyle. But right now, he says, he first finds his own brother, and that's John chapter 1, verse 41, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is, being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, that is Simon, he said, Thou art Simon. See, Andrew didn't introduce him yet. 
It's just when Jesus saw it, He said, you're Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. So what did, what did Jesus do here? What is this all-important thing that we've got to look for in the life of not only Peter and our own life and the lives of others? It's a change in the name. You've got to look for your name being changed when that occurred and what it means. See, when Peter looked at Simon, he said, I know who you were born into this world as. I realize you came into this world and your daddy, Jonah, he named you Simon. But from now on, I'm going to call you Cephas, which is a Hebrew term for Peter. He changed his name from Simon to Peter. Isn't that strange? I mean, wouldn't that be weird if you walked up to somebody and they told you your name, but I'm going to change your name to this? Well, what's the significance of that name change? In the Scriptures, the word name encompasses what we call identity. How do you identify this person according to their name? As well as a whole bunch of other facts. But primarily, the word name has to do with your identity. That's why Jesus changed Peter's name from Simon Barjona to Cephas or Peter. Now, to further illustrate that need, Simon literally means a reed. It's like grass. And it's blown back and forth by the wind. It's not real stable. You're not going to use a reed to stabilize yourself. It's flighty, flaky. And that pretty much describes Peter's personality. Flighty and flaky. But he said, I'm going to call you Cephas or Peter or Petros in the Greek, which means I'm going to call you a stone. Rock hard. That change of name is a change of identity that has to be recognized. It is the fundamental issue, the fundamental point, if you will, of the Gospel. You see, the good news is you were born naturally into this world as a natural descendant of Adam totally dysfunctional, selfish and self-centered, rebellious and enemy with God. But God, who is merciful by His grace, 
you who were dead in sins and trespasses, He made alive. He created you a brand new person in Christ Jesus with the characteristics of Christ Jesus. So the basic truth is of the Gospel, you're no longer the same person you've always thought you were. No. Your name has been changed. You're a new person created in Christ Jesus. Now whether you believe that or not, doesn't change it. All it does, when you believe it, it gives you the comfort, the security and significance of a new person. So right from the right from the very beginning, as we look at Peter's biography, we find out the first thing that happened to him was his identity changed. Now it took a little while for that identity to work itself out and the practicality. And as we study the life of Peter, we're going to see not only his victories, like we just discussed in terms of him walking on the water, but we're also going to see his trials and tribulations. Now, I refer to Peter. He's probably one of my favorite disciples, original disciples of Jesus. And I refer to him as Brother Mouth because he was always talking. He was always answering Jesus. Whenever Jesus put a question to his disciples, it was Peter who answered it. Peter was always ready. He just was misdirected most of the time. And he had to be hemmed in. I'm just going to mention a few uh, references here concerning Peter's life today. I'm just going to do a few references and then Lord willing we'll come back and study it more in depth, each one. Right after that story we have of him walking on the water, in Matthew 15, Jesus is giving a very intense parable to the Pharisees about where evil comes from. You see, the Pharisees thought you sinned if you didn't keep the Ten Commandments and you didn't keep the 613 traditions of the elders that you were sinful. And his Jesus' disciples broke them. They broke one of the most important, and that is they, they did not wash their hands before they ate. That was a real, real important Jewish custom. And the Pharisees came to Jesus and questioned him about it. He said, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Now, he wasn't talking about hygienic washing, okay? Yeah, I wash my hands before I eat, especially where my hands have been. He's not talking about that. You see, the Jews had a custom there. It's called ceremonial cleansing. So you went through an elaborate ritual of washing your hands to prove ceremonially you were clean. And if you didn't do that ceremony before you ate, then you would be defiled. 
by the food you ate. So they came to Jesus and said, what's up? Your disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat. They're violating our traditions. And Jesus quickly told them, you are violating, not traditions, but you are violating the commandments of God by your traditions. Your traditions are actually violating God's command. And he went on to give him an example about the command to honor your father and mother. You see, to the Jew, honoring your father and mother wasn't just saying, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, no, ma'am, no, sir, being respectful. It meant that as your father and mother took care of you in your helpless state as an infant, so also are you to care for them in their helpless state in aging. Now, even back in Jesus' day, that would cost a lot of money. See, this is before Social Security, right? That costs a lot of money. And so the Pharisees, who were quick about it, they dedicated all of their money to the temple. That was their tradition. And if you dedicate all your money to the temple, then you don't have to care for your mother and father because you haven't got anything to bless them with. Now, what people didn't understand is the Pharisees controlled the money in the temple. So if the Pharisee wanted a new car, he'd just go get money from the temple. If he wanted a new house, he'd get money from the temple. They controlled that money. It was a convenient way to weasel out of their responsibility to care for their mother and father. And then Jesus put a capstone on that. Oh, he hit her hard. In that argument and discussion he had, he not only told them, you're violating the, tradition, the commandments of God by your traditions, but he also went on to say, Hear and understand. It's not what goes in the mouth that defiles a man. That was pretty radical for Jesus in his day. How many of you realize that the Jews were picky eaters? Hmm? They didn't eat those old nasty things like us Gentiles do. No pork. No crab legs. No shellfish of any kind. You can't mix meat dishes with milk dishes. They were real picky about how they ate according to the law of Moses. And now Jesus is telling them, it's not what you eat that defiles you. It's not what goes in the mouth that defiles you. Now, radical as that was for his day, it doesn't seem that real radical to us. So let me give you another analogy to help you understand. Jesus said, it's not the booze that you put in your mouth and you drink that defiles you. 
It's not the smoke that you inhale from a crack pipe that defiles you. It's not what goes in the mouth that causes you problems. Now, his disciples were kind of taken back by that and said, what in the world are you talking about? So he went on to tell them, whatever enters your mouth is processed by your digestive tract. And what's not usable or beneficial is cast out, eliminated. Where defilement come is not what comes, is not what you put in your mouth, but what comes out of your mouth. And then he went on to explain. For out of the mouth proceeds evil thoughts. Out of the heart, rather, proceeds evil thoughts. And out of the heart, through the mouth, out of the mouth is coming evil deeds because of the evil thoughts. So where Jesus placed the real problem was not in ceremonial cleansing, whether you do that or not, according to the traditions, but what's in your heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the very first thing he said is going to cause you defilement and problems are the evil thoughts. Now, when I first read that, I kind of thought, evil thoughts, evil thoughts, what are those? Wicked thoughts, nasty thoughts, what are evil thoughts? And finally, it dawned on me. It has to do with what God has already done for you and whether or not you believe that. You see, God said He's done everything necessary to make you a brand new person. He's done it all. When Jesus died on the cross, He said, it is finished. I've done it all. Everything necessary to make you a brand new person in Christ Jesus. It's already been done. But the evil thoughts in our heart that comes out of our, our mouth is I will be okay. I will be worthy if. Well, why is that evil? Because God said you're already worthy. You're already secure in His love and significant in His plan. He's done that for you through His Son, Jesus, on the cross. What are you thinking? Well, I'll be worthy if I get more money. I'll be secure if so-and-so loves me. And the list goes on and on and on. Those are the evil thoughts that are produced out of our heart or the deepest part of our mind. Psychologists call the subconscious mind. He said, this is what defiles you. It's what you believe, particularly about yourself. This is what defiles you. You don't believe that you are the person God made you to be. 
And there's a whole host of evil thoughts associated with that. When Peter heard that, he was amazed. When he heard that, like the other disciples, it took root in him and he began to understand a little bit about the Gospel. So by the time you get to chapter 16 in Matthew, when Jesus asked, who do, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? In other words, Jesus asked His disciples, what's public opinion of me? And they said, well, some of them believe that you're John the Baptist raised from the dead, or you're Jeremiah, or you're Isaiah because of the way you teach. He stopped them and He said, who do you think I am? Who do you believe I am? And Peter burst forth with his confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, Peter began to understand who Jesus was, and he began the process of understanding who He was. That was the beginning of the story of Peter's life. Now, it's not all bad bed of roses for Peter. In fact, he's got a long way to go. And we're going to study more about that as we study his biography. But I want you to understand today the most critical issue of his biography. It's the same for you. And that's the question. Who is Jesus? And because of who He is, who are you? Because Jesus is the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Because Jesus is actually the Christ, the Messiah. He has done for you what you have not been able to do for yourself. Peter had yet to learn that. And we'll be studying that as we go along. Let's close our study this morning with a word of prayer. Thank you again for listening. If you want more access to Alpha Ministries teaching, you can like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and visit our website. All times and dates for services and other events are on our website listed in the show notes.